everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, first, we need to apologize. We're sorry. We, we fully planned on, on doing a show last weekend. It, it was in the agenda. It was going to happen. But we got sidetracked. We ended up here. Now is the perfect time, and the season is just right. You can play all day and dance into the night. I have no idea Oh, we were not in the Poconos. <laughs> we were so not in the Poconos. <laughs> no, it, the the reality is, in order for this show not to suck worse than normal, <laughs> <laughs> both of our listeners are now going. It doesn't suck, guys. It, it, we need to be in a proper mindset, both of us. And we were not in the proper mindset for recording last weekend. And we'll leave it there. Okay. Is that not accurate? It is incredibly accurate. It Beautiful also, Mount Airy Lodge would have been a better story, though. Uh, it would have been. <laughs> I, I don't see you whisking me away for a weekend away at the beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Where all you or, have to bring is your love of everything? Yes. Or even, I don't know. To Wisconsin, which is apparently a whole lot closer. Hey, I offered to go to Wisconsin this weekend, and your response to me was, no, it's dark. Well, <laughs> I couldn't see my hand in front of my face because it was so dark, and you were going to go to the Wisconsin state line just so that we could cross into Wisconsin. I want to see Wisconsin. I, I like it that you know we could have gone to Wisconsin, but you said, no, it's too dark. That's just... <laughs> In my defense, we had just had a very nice dinner, what, five miles away from Wisconsin? We did. But it was really dark, and I wanted to see where we were going. Okay. So, speaking of seeing where one is going. So, this weekend, and we don't normally talk about Moto TT. That's not even GP. MotoGP. Well, MotoTT is, it's that's the same series that does like the Isle of Man TT, where it's like that 20-mile race around the Isle of Man. Okay. Fame, I mean, it, it's a pretty big deal. Oh, that's why I've never heard of it. Yeah, you have. Oh. Jane, I think you saw um, James May built, oh no, you didn't see that one. James May built a motorcycle out of Meccano. To ride around the Isle of Man TT course. Nope, didn't watch it. With his buddy he, who he drinks wine with. Oh, because somebody more in the, boring in than the James car. May. In the sidecar. In the sidecar. Yes. Oh, my. Anyway. <clears throat> anyway. So this is Moto TT. The Moto TT had their Macau Grand Prix race. Yes. Now, you know Macau. Yes. Home of Chinese casinos and it's where they made Matchbox cars when they stopped making them in Lesney, England. See? That's about all I know about Macau. Oh, and but, there's the Macau, the big Macau Grand Prix race that happened, well, it happens every year, but we had the big accident mm-hmm. uh, where Sophie Florsch put it into a building. See? I know Macau. <clears throat> well, not quite at that corner. Actually, a couple of years ago, um, I think we had talked about over in Macau, there was... There's a corner coming into a straight that's super, super narrow that when there's an accident, it like bottles up the whole race. Mm-hmm. So lap one of the Macau Grand Prix for the TT bikes, 
there's an accident. Red flags the race. Correct. Like, guy falls off the bike and bike jumps over him. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy comes around the corner and, and gets taken out by it. So we red flag it. <clears throat> they clean everything up, get it all reset. And, and that was the opening lap of the race. Get it all reset. They get, they restart the race. They get a lap, full lap, same corner. Another accident takes out a good chunk of the field. Okay, that one became an entire roadblock block of downed bikes. And as a result of the double red flagging, they called the race after one lap. Michael Rudder is declared the winner for completing a lap. Hey, you know, sometimes it's just being the last man standing. Now, my favorite was um, the announcer who was calling the race the first accident this is his comment as they 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 showed this that is not exactly the way to do it (laughs) the calm observation of the obvious (laughs) the utter loss of words at the same time yes that is not the way we do that All right, so from MotoGP, we are going to go into, I know you are not going into Formula One. No, we're going to go to IndyCar. Yes. So news came out this week that Ed Carpenter Racing, uh, that IndyCar team named after Ed Carpenter, um, who still drives. Yes, he does. um, He has dropped Spencer Piggott from the team uh, for 2020. Um, Now... The other seat was open, so the, he, he was running two cars, and I don't have who he was running alongside Piggott, uh, but right now it sounds like one of those seats is going to be going to Renus VK. Okay. Renus is tested twice for Ed Carpenter. The rumor flying around for the other seat at Ed Carpenter Racing is that potentially Nico Hulkenberg is up for now, from what I read, Hulkenberg would take the road courses but share the seat with the overall driver, Ed Jones. Uh, no, with Ed Carpenter. Is it Ed Carpenter? I thought it was Jones. No, you're right. Ed Jones. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the uh, the nod for being right. No, Ed Jones left. Ed Jones would be, t- would be Renus' seat See, would be, be Ed, Ed Jones. Jones. Carpenter would be coming in just for the ovals if... Nico was to come over. Nico has said outright, he, he has not denied anything. All that he has said is that he does not like racing ovals. Mm. Now, Ed Carpenter Racing is not confirming anything right now other than saying that they haven't signed anybody. And, pageant, and uh, Pickett does not have a seat. Right. There's going to be, there's some shakeups that's going on over in Indy. With I, some peoples. You know, I, I'm, I'm not positive that this is real. I mean, it would be super cool. And we would, th- this would be one more reason for us to push really hard to get up to Road America. Either Road America or Detroit. One, the two, to go see Nico. Oh, yeah. Um, but if you're Nico Hulkenberg, and, and I get that he has not had a podium in his entire Formula One career, and that is something that bothers him. 
but I still think that he would want anywhere that he would go, he would want to go where he would have a chance of a title. You know, in IndyCar, there's always a chance of a win, but a title's a different story. And going to Ed Carpenter Racing and not racing ovals that would seem to rule out the possibility of a title. Well, I think at some point, have you, let's back up. Have you ever had that job where you've kind of been beaten down? You were a big success prior to coming in and you kind of got beaten down while you were there. And then you go to the next job and you don't feel like you're as hot stuff as you used to be maybe just winning a race or two would put him back in the right mindset he's he needs to have a win and i don't mean a race win i mean he needs to have a win yeah um and that would start him back on that right path no it's he's not going to be in a position to get titles but if it gets him known and gets him into the American racing circuit, he might pick up a different thing. He might head to touring car. He might, I mean, he could do a whole lot of different things. Well, he came up with, so Nico Hulkenberg is one of those drivers that did not come up through. Karting? Well, he went through karting, but he did not go into GP2. He came up, he was a DTM driver. Oh. Uh, same with Paul DeResta. Paul DeResta was another one who was a DTM driver who made the jump into Formula One. Got it. So he's got experience there. Now, again, because he doesn't want to do ovals, I don't see him making a move over toward NASCAR. No. No. I could see him potentially trying to go either back to DTM or maybe Formula E. I don't, I, see, I don't know what the driver's market is, and Formula E starts next week. Well, there's a, there's a thousand things I don't know. But what you also don't know is he said, I don't care to race ovals. And maybe the thought process is get your foot, you know, get into IndyCar, get to talking to some of the guys, and then maybe try it out and see what you think. And if he's good enough on the road courses that racing some ovals would push him towards a title, you know he's going to start racing ovals. I would hope so. I don't know. So, all right. That's IndyCar. So that's how we get into Formula One, though. That's the Formula One connection? See? Always. See? Um, Formula One announced, actually about two weeks ago, um, we're just getting around to talking about it now, they have announced their plans to offset their carbon footprint. Their carbon footprint is 256,551 tons, is what they estimate it to be. Okay. So what their intention is, is they they first want to make their Grand Prix sustainable, their word, not mine, sustainable by 2025 with the bigger goal to be net zero carbon by 2030. Do you think they have a sustainability committee? Well, that's what this is, is their sustainability plan. You think there's a committee that they had to run oh, absolutely. through multiple ideas and ideations of the sustainability? Oh, absolutely. So most companies, the way they try and pull something off like this is they plant trees. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots and lots of trees. So Formula One's not really going to do that. 
They're not going to plant trees. Um, they're they're looking for a combination of technologies uh, to achieve this carbon neutrality. Um, so what they're looking to do, and, and it's a combination of not just dealing with the cars on track, but they want to get the teams to uh, be powered by renewable fuels, uh, their, their factories to be renewable energy sources. They want to uh, eliminate the use of single-use plastics. So the thought being, you know, you go to the track and you buy souvenirs, you're not going to get it in a plastic bag, you get it in a paper bag. Okay. Or maybe you'll get it in like a duffel or something like that. Tyvek. Or maybe you won't get a bag at all. That That's possible too. Um, they're trying to move to, quote, ultra-efficient logistics and travel. Um, and as I mentioned, 100% renewably powered offices, facilities, and factories. So the estimates right now, like I said, the, the, they bo- it's estimated that they produce 256,551 tons of carbon dioxide emissions. Emissions from the V6 turbo en- hybrid engines, um, which have a 50% thermal efficiency, are just 0.7% of that total. Mm. So the race cars are not the big polluters in Formula One. Road, air, and sea logistics are the biggest contributor at 45%, followed by air and ground transportation and accommodation at 27.7%. Facilities and factories operated by F1 and the teams at 19.3%, and event operations such as support races and energy use tracks at 7.3%. So, yeah. I think it's cool to have a goal and work towards something like this but the the one disconnect i see here is that okay you want to reduce your environmental footprint and you want to be cleaner in what you do coming from the sport that produces for a race weekend what is it seven eight hundred tires that are single use only whether they get used or not after they bring them to the track, wherever that track is in the world, from the factory, they transport them out to the track. They may or may not get used. And after the race weekend, they transport them all to England to shred them and burn them. Are you saying that they should reuse tires? Maybe they should come up with a better plan for that. Now, admittedly, Pirelli and Formula One tout the fact that the way they dispose of these tires, because they shred, because normally you burn rubber and it's super polluted, mm-hmm. especially tires. You burn them and it lets out a lot of toxins. Supposedly, the process that they have shreds the tire small enough, and, and I, I, I'm not an environmental scientist, which is why this doesn't completely ring true to me. But they shred the tires to small enough particles that when those particles are burned, they don't release the chemicals. I'm not sure how that works. I have no idea how that works. But that's the claim. And when they burn them, they're capturing all of that heat and all of that energy is producing electricity. Okay, well, there's that piece. There's there's that piece, but how they're shredding these tires 
eliminates the gobs and gobs of pollutants that normally come from burning tires. I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm sure that somebody could explain it to you and it won't be me. Um, yeah. But the question I have, the actual question I have, is our world champion, six times, mm-hmm. has in the recent years become a vegan. Mm-hmm. He has a restaurant. He does? He has a vegan burger restaurant in London. Yes, we are going to try and find it. Okay. I was going to say, um, we're going, so we and, should go there, right? And, and I don't know. So here's what little I know about that whole piece is that, so the, the big thing that's caught a lot of hype in the U.S. and, and around some of the fast food rec- restaurants is the Beyond Meat stuff. The Impossible Burger. Impossible so. Burger. But it's, it's beyond. bleeding plant-based meat. But but it's beyond meat is is the manufacturer that, that's leading the way right now. They're not certified for sale in the United Kingdom. Hmm. So Burger King in particular, I know, is rolling out a version in the UK that's based on something completely different and has a different texture and all of that. Because, and it has to do with the use of the GMOs in the man in, in the growing of the plants that are used to create the burger. Okay. So whatever it is that Lewis's burger is based on, it's not the same Beyond Meat stuff as in the U.S. It's one of these other varieties. Okay. Because Beyond Meat is not certified in the U.K. Okay. Yet. All right. Back to me and back to my point, which had nothing to do with a restaurant in London. <laughs> um, topic. We have a lot to go through. We need to stay on them. Yeah. Forget but- that. <laughs> okay, we're done. Um, so my question is, first, Lewis became a vegan. Mm-hmm. And recently, I've been following a bit of Lewis's push for sustainability. Oh, did you see his Instagram post a couple of weeks ago? No, I don't follow him on Instagram. Oh, he, he had an Instagram post specifically about this a couple of weeks ago. And people thought that it was him kind of announcing his retirement because of the way he worded it. Oh, interesting. It was not artfully done. Mm, that's very rare for him. No way. I know. Um, but he got rid of his airplane. I, I heard that. I was staggered by that. Yeah. He doesn't he have... He loves his airplane. He used he to love his, his airplane. airplane. It's past tense now. But he felt that that was too big of a carbon footprint. And he's personally seeking out to be a zero carbon footprint guy he's like it's all over this so so it makes me wonder how he's trying i mean is he sharing no i know that (laughs) but you know my my question is we know that a lot of the drivers would share a plane Mm -hmm. he never did because he had his own does that mean he's he's sharing a plane with you know daniel ricardo and and nico hokenberg and and some of these other guys or is he flying on uh, toto's plane I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine that he wouldn't necessarily share a plane, except he's probably not sharing it with some of the people that you know, piss him off. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he could be flying with Toto, or maybe he's taking, like, the factory, like, the mechanics and stuff. Well, maybe it too. They're on a charter plane, and he's he's hanging with them, because he's always talking about the guys back at the factory. So, um, 
maybe he's like palling around with them. And I don't, and I know that the drivers, or at least the same drivers, don't always share a plane because Roman Grosjean is posted every so often from his business class seat on whatever airline he's on. Mm. But I've also seen pictures of him flying with some of the other drivers. So I don't know how that works. We're, we're not invited to that game. Which is really sad. Because Air Cothard. <laughs> Air Cothard. Well, you know, when Jensen and Cothard get together and take a plane back, that's the plane I want to be on. Jensen, Cothard, and Mark Webber. That is the plane. Yes. I really want to be on. Maybe Daniel Ricardo on top of that. Oh, oh, I, I, I'd add Honey Badger on top of, of just about anything. Um, anyway. <laughs> All right, our next story. <laughs> you know, we didn't ask Lewis when he was in studio with us about his carbon footprint and his sustainability efforts. We should have. No, because I didn't want him to go for another Lightning McQueen moment. <laughs> he was not all Lightning McQueen. So, helmets. 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 That's becoming the new engine. Um, No, not really. It's just as obnoxious. The rules. And... The rule is just as obnoxious, and now Sebastian Vettel is speaking out. And honestly, should not be a surprise. No, just... All things aside about Sebastian, the fact that he is known for one who loved to change his helmet and do all kinds of specialty designs, he's speaking out that he doesn't like the, the new helmet rules. He calls the major, starts with B, ends with T, fill in the blanks. Two words. One Sometimes marked. one. <laughs> Fill in the blank. together. He Compound says word. that the rules must change. So as a reminder, the rule is that since 2015, the sporting regulations have required that drivers have their crash helmets presented in, quote, substantially the same livery with the dispensation for a single one-off color change each year. Uh, but it's a requirement for drivers to be easily distinguished from one another while they are on the track. Okay, but here's my problem. You have a halo. No, that's not my problem. Okay. This is a rule that's been in place for since 2015. And we didn't like it then either. No, we spoke out against it then. Mm -hmm. We have been unwavering in our dislike of said rule. But it is 2019, and I believe this is the first time we have heard Mr. Vettel come out and say anything about it. Is it just because it's finally getting some press or the fact that the press was he was still changing his helmet because he didn't ask when Kvyat got in trouble? It's more than just that because um, going into the Mexican Grand Prix weekend, and you would have known this if you followed Lewis's Instagram, Mm -hmm. Lewis put up a poll that asked if fans thought that the rule needed to be changed. So that's also feeding some of this is that the drivers are starting to push back a little bit, not just Daniel Kvyat, that this rule is stupid. It, it doesn't make any point. Okay. Now, Seb has said, well, I change it anyway, so it's our helmet and we should f- be free to do what we want. So I think the rule is major. Fill in the blank. We have very little room left to sort of express ourselves, and the helmet is probably the only one. And if people like it, that's great. If they don't like it, well, it's not their helmet. So I think we should be in charge for designing which way and which color our helmet has. 
Um, so what he's already done this year without asking for permission. Um, <clears throat> so he had a, hel- a helmet that was a tribute to Nicky Lauder, which he uh, wore in Monaco. Uh, he had a burned Schneider specialty helmet in Germany. And no, I don't know who Bern Schneider is, but apparently it's somebody important to Seb. Uh, but he also ran a helmet with uh, the Italian flag colors in Monza. Okay. And even Max Verstappen, Max was asked about this. And the first thing Max said was, I always loved when Seb was at Red Bull and changing his helmet every race almost more or less. It was, it was cool because you were just like, what is he coming up with now? I do a few, but I'm not going to say I will do a different helmet every race because it's just too much effort in designing a helmet. But I think if you want to make it blue or red at the next race, why not? It's your crash helmet, and you should be able to do what you want. I, I agree. And, you know, maybe if we harp on this enough and the drivers harp on actually, it's definitely going to be us. I was going to say, if we, we harp have... on this enough, Michael Massey is going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they're right. Well, I mean, we know Bernie listens. We know Bernie listens, and Bernie, of course, has zero influence into these things anymore. Yeah, well, but that's why he listens now. I know, <laughs> I know. And see, the thing is, I think we were actually starting to make inroads on Charlie Whiting, which is really sad. Yeah, makes me miss him. But um, no, I think that it will be the the triple B. The bloke and the bird bump. Thank you. <laughs> that will move the needle. At least we will claim that it's our push that moved things forward. Okay. So, 2021 regulations. A lot of hope, a lot of hype. Formula One came out and they said that they were expecting that um, the amount of downforce that would be remaining when cars were, were following close together would be somewhere in the area of 86% for the car immediately behind and the car that was th- three car lengths behind would have as much to 94% of the of downforce available to them, 98% when it's seven car lengths behind. Now, presently, that's 68% for three car lengths and 79 for seven car lengths. That's what they said, and you know we got all excited. Cool, great idea. Now Nicholas Tombasis is saying, "Well, that's optimum. That that's baseline. We're we're hoping that that's what we get. But you know, the teams are they, they can make some changes to aerodynamics, and that can have an impact on it. So it might not be that bad." Now what he is saying is that you know. We're, we're fairly confident that we're, whatever it ends up being, even if it's not at the reference, it's going to be significantly better than it is now. And if it is significantly better than it is now, we should have better racing. Remember this. That's what he says. Okay, but he gave us pie-in-the-sky estimates that may or may not be based in any sort of reality. So well, fantastic. Th- they are based in reality in, in the fact that the reference designs that they came up with they built out the cars and they i I think they did them in in, uh one half scale and they ran them through the wind tunnels and they actually have the data that correlates to it okay but what they don't know is where teams will make deviations 
from those reference designs. That's what they can't they they, they can't predict yet. Well, and they're not going to be able to predict what a team is going to be able to do. What they should be doing is writing the regulations in such a way that says you can do whatever you want to the car as long as it does not reduce downforce more than X percentage three car lengths behind you. Period. Six wheel Terrell, here I come. Well, so that's the next thing. The FIA says that, you know, we've had in the past that teams find the loopholes so that they can do the six wheel tarot so that they can do the fan cars so that they can do the double diffuser the coanda exhaust all of these loopholes that allow them to get away with it and find an edge mm-hmm. um and while um nicholas tombas's team and the fia worked very hard with these reference design is designs and these new regulations to lock down as many areas as they possibly could, the teams still have some degree of design freedom. As they should. So there is still some possibility that teams could find loopholes. As they should. And the FIA says that they think that when a team finds a loophole, instead of exploiting that loophole, that they would report it to the FIA. As they should not. It will be reported to the FIA in a letter written by the team that got skunked by the loophole finding. Come on, people. Uh, See, I was thinking that this would be about as likely as, oh, them announcing a race in Antarctica in a purpose-built track. Okay. Depends how many years post-global warming are we talking about um you know when the ice caps all melt we could possibly have a race in antarctica where they announced that formula one's going to be uh uh they're going to move to boats just as likely boat racing yes i know there's boat racing series thank you and ferrari built one of those boats i saw it i saw it in marinelle no this boat actually gorgeous but it, it's from like the 60s and it's a wooden hold racing boat. Oh, it was amazing. It's Do you at, need a moment? It, it, it's at the, um, um, the Enzo Ferrari Museum. Did, did, did you need a moment? No, I'm good. Okay, just no, check good. it. Just check it. I'm good. Um, but we also saw Red Bull's entry into the America's Cup. I mean, they, they yeah. do boat racing. That's yeah. not impossible just formula one on water would be but but you know what i mean is um yeah the teams are not going to turn around and go oh hey hey we we found this loophole you might want to change the rules so you can close it no no what's gonna happen is somebody's gonna find a loophole and ferrari's gonna write a letter because well, it won't it, be Ferrari that finds the loophole. It, it, well, it might be Red Bull. I mean, you know, our, our current engine situation with Ferrari is because Red Bull wrote a letter. So it's just as likely to be Red Bull. Are we talking about the engine situation yet? No, actually, we're going to talk about tires. Oh. <laughs> oh. So the teams were given two sets of the 2020 tires to try uh, at Friday practice in Austin. And the teams hated them. Just as much as I hate talking about them? Um, probably more so. 
not so the change in the tire design and and they knew this was coming in order to make them more stable and more predictable they cut back on the grip and apparently they cut back on the grip to such a level that the teams are rather upset um there is one more tire test coming in abu dhabi and depending on the results of that tire test the teams may vote to completely abandon the 2020 tire design and stay with the 2019 Great. That means we have to talk about tires again. Yeah, you will. Hey, you know what else we have to talk about? Engines? Engine oil. Uh. So the teams have been asked to supply information about the use of lubricants in their engines. Um, Specifically, well, it's the latest move to ensure that the teams are not burning oil in their engines for performance reasons. Every team has to send details such as the designation, specification, and quantity of lubricants in their engines. This should give the FIA a reference if they decide to undertake any checks related to lubricant usage in the future. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. We cannot have this conversation you know, you know the about whole re- <laughs> The whole reason I'm ha- I have this story in here is just so I can say lubricant. Multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> there are so many smart aleck responses that are coming through. They are I all know. like converging at the same time. I know. And the, and the best part roadblock. Of, and, and the best part about it is that they're all hitting that doorway at once and then they get stuck <laughs> and then the arms are flailing around because they can't get through and they're stuck at the door. And you're <laughs> having to watch all of that happen across my face. It, it's pretty entertaining. All of the smart aleck responses are, are coming up there. <sighs> smart aleck overload it's cool (laughs) you know all i can think of is the poor little mechanic that has to go measure the amount of lube that's in the car (laughs) i mean seriously you know you used to think that that was like one of those initiation not lube (laughs) same same thing um you would have thought that was like uh a uh cruel initiation joke like you know make sure you get the blinker fluid topped up or no that is the initiation is to make sure that they they have the the blinker fluid topped up and that they remember to take the keys to the f1 car with them when they leave the factory exactly that's the rookie driver gets that one yes but somebody development driver Susie wolf was responsible for that at Williams for the car, for the car keys yes for the car keys I, i'm sure <laughs> but now somebody's gonna have to be responsible for loop checks i mean come on yeah. they're gonna have to take it down to the jiffy loop <laughs> <laughs> well no the team isn't responsible for that it's the fia that's going to do it it's when it goes to scrutineering right but they have to somebody has to tell them how much is supposed to be in there it's going to be just like when you brought your car to the quickie lube and you just go and you drive it in, not the Jiffy Loop, where you had to get out of the car. The one where you, you drove in and they changed the oil oh, while you're take... in the car. They offered you a beverage. Okay, Take 5 never gave me a beverage. They gave you a beverage? The one in California? Oh, yeah. They gave you a beverage? Yep. No wonder you took all the cars Sodas. to get... Sodas, yeah. All yeah. the cars to get their oil changes. I mean, and never it's a little weird it. to sit in a car as you hear somebody banging on the bottom of a car. and But, yeah, you know... No, the guys always told me that I needed wiper blades and I needed to top up my blinker fluid. Well, you didn't need the blinker (laughs) fluid, but you needed the wiper blades. (laughs) They told me I needed all the fluids. I don't know. Now, 
all of that is has happened and ferrari is insisting they have changed absolutely nothing on the engine since austin even though they're going slower yes i'm sure wink wink nod nod what what i love here is that you know we talked about what was it just after austin that Benotto said that well we we added more downforce to the car and that's why it's running slower and then like right after that it was the oh no it was something else with the car and 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 we don't know what it is but it wasn't this downforce we had some other issue but we we won't tell and now Benotto is again saying no we put more downforce on the car and that's why it's going slower because he's got somebody in his ear that's going tell him it's downforce tell him it's downforce because nobody else is going to listen okay Jenny Gao on the Five Live podcast Mm -hmm. made a comment about this whole hoopla and i loved the statement she says i've talked to drivers i've talked to teams everyone in the paddock is talking about it Mm -hmm. but and it's all you know what ferrari's doing with their engine yep it's like this worst kept bad secret but nobody's got proof of it to be able to take it to the FIA and say, I know for sure. And then the question gets asked, well, if you everybody thinks this is going on, why didn't they, somebody take it to the FIA and say, go check it out? And it's because nobody wants to be the team that said, this is going, we think this is happening, and it then and be wrong. Well, the thing is, though, in, in the, the truth is, if the FIA really thought that this was happening, I don't think there's anything to stop the FIA from going to Ferrari and saying, okay, you need to produce race spec engine and we need to run it on a test bench and see what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would assume that the FIA has the power to do that. Especially when they don't have a lot of options to validate it otherwise. I mean, I guess you could measure the amount of oil at the end of the race and see how much is left. Well, that goes back to the, they, you need to provide the specifications now. You have to tell them how much you started with. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's going to be a prescription for how much you can start with. Um, and if you have too little, they're going to assume it burned. Um, there, yeah, there's just so much. There's so many pieces of this, but it was the, the statement that she said about everybody's been whispering about it all year. And I was like, wow, this goes deeper. It was two things that I had that thought of. A, this goes deeper than the story that we know, because we only know it now that it started to become a thing. But the other piece was... How incredibly tight is that whole paddock that they're all whispering? And we knew how tight it was, but it's like, it's tighter than even you think it's tight. Okay, the whole reason that Renault got disqualified from Japan was because Racing Point hired an engineer from Renault who said, hey, did you guys know they were doing this? Right. Yeah. I mean... (laughs) And that was when Racing Point was willing to go to the FIA mm-hmm. is because they had concrete proof. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the biggest thing here is 
everybody thinks they're doing it, but nobody can say, we know for a fact they're doing it. Go investigate it. Yeah. Because I think if you're, if you think it and you're wrong, that's embarrassing. So do you remember a couple of weeks ago, right after the, the new rules were announced and Chase Carey said that, yeah, I don't think that 2020 the teams are going to go and spend a, a, a metric ton of money um, in advance of the, the cost caps. They wouldn't do something like that. We, we kind of, you know, we think they're going to be kind of honest about it and that won't be an issue. And our response was, <laughs> I remember that. I remember stating something about people would be pre-buying a whole lot of things so that they can stay under the cost caps when they hit. So Christian Horner is saying that Red Bull is predicting that 2020 will be their most expensive year ever in Formula One. Hmm. Why? Because they're splitting the development up and have two different squads who are developing the 2020 car and shepherding that through and another one that is dedicated to the 2021 car. Oh, so they're developing it before the cost caps come in place? Right. No, nobody would do that. Yeah. That seems unreasonable that people would spend their money before the cost caps get put in place. Yeah, so while the the leadership in F1 believe that the wind tunnel and uh, computational fluid dynamics restrictions will limit the scope for spending in 2020, Christian Horner says that there are still enough areas of freedom to mean that it's worth investing more. Ha ha ha. Yeah. He said, you have an unrestricted and uncontrolled amount of money that you can spend on research and development across other areas. For me, I stand by what I said previously. It would have been better to have introduced the cap first and then the regulations a year down the line because then the budget cap would have constrained the amount of spend. Next year looks to be our most expensive year in F1. He says, now that the 2021 regulations are clear, we have an advanced team starting to investigate those regulations. It makes it an extremely expensive year because we're developing under two types of regs and before the new financial cap comes in as well. So 2020 will be an expensive and busy year, certainly off and on the track. Cyril Abitbull says that teams in uh, Renault's situation may be forced to switch off their 2020 work early because the following year is so important. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that before. I mean, we saw that in 2014. Now, the big, or 2013 rather, the, the big difference is that nothing changed rule-wise. There was no cost cap. It was just the aerodyne. Well, it was the engines that were changed. And the the engine development work for Mercedes, it started eight years before. Well, the engine was changing between those two. And the reason people stopped developing the 2013 car was their spot was pretty set in the championship. So they weren't going to wind up with any more money if they yeah. kept developing it. So they might as well shift their development to the next year, which is exactly what's going to happen this year. They're going to start developing the next car down the line once they're pretty sure that they're set in a, set in a spot. I think the teams are going to stop developing even soon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. 
So if you did not hear the news, driver lineup at uh, the entire Red Bull family has been locked in for 2020. And there's absolutely no changes. No. Which, I mean, th- there was a little drama around whether or not Albin was, was going to go anywhere. Um, but I, th- I think he's proved his work now. <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is there shouldn't have been. I mean, he came into that team and he's not causing the drama that Gasly caused, for yeah. starters. He's not causing the drama that, oh, Kvyat caused when he moved into the team. And he, granted, some of that's been mechanical issues and it's been out of Max's hands. But he's been outscoring Max for most of the races. Not Barcel. Yeah. And then over at Toro Rosso, it's Gasly and Kvyat. And I think that's mainly because there's nobody else. There's no junior driver ready. There's no other options. You know, and I don't have my super license, so they can't come out and ask me. I told you you shouldn't have let that expire. Well, the problem was I had my black Sharpie on my license, and they told me that that was not good enough. I wrote super on it. Well, we'll see, that was the thing. When I spoke to the lady at the DMV here in Illinois, she went, uh, super what? I know. She was too busy telling us how she burned her divorce papers and sent the ashes to her ex. Um, (laughs) Because that's what you want to hear about in the DMV. Um, Yeah. All right. So in other news. Yes. So Lewis Hamilton. Yes. So he is under contract through 2020. Mm -hmm. The question is what happens after that? You know, he's going to obviously start his contract negotiations next year. Um, the expectation, and even Lewis is, is, is kind of, I, I think he's got an option that if he wanted to, he could stick around through 21. Okay. And Lewis is hinting that he, he will probably exercise the option. He definitely wants to see what it's like to drive under the new rules. Mm-hmm. What happens after that is kind of up in the air. Uh, but one of the things that Lewis is saying is that he is, um, kind of interested in becoming more involved in Mercedes. Brand ambassador? Probably something along those lines. Now, if you keep in mind, unlike most drivers, Lewis has been a Mercedes driver since his karting days. Yes. I believe he started driving a Mercedes engine at 13. Well, I don't think he was driving a Mercedes engine, but... but uh, McLaren Mercedes was his sponsor and he was in their junior program, but I don't mm-hmm. think he had a Mercedes engine in the car. Um, probably not until he got to uh, one of the junior formula series, okay. open wheel series, that he was driving a Mercedes engine. But he has been a Mercedes <clears throat> driver since he signed in 13. Yeah, at 13. At 13. Yeah. He is 34. Yeah. Um, he is, I think... The driver, he holds a record for the driver with the most wins with a single engine manufacturer. Okay, I just kind of want to level set Lewis and his records. I did a wee bit of internet research. Uh, Are you sure we want to hear about this? Yes. Okay. Most of the popular 
driving records, mm-hmm. number of pole positions, wins with a single manufacturer, wins at a single team, um, grid placements above X, you know, all mm-hmm. of those really good ones, not the ones like Kimi Raikkonen had, which was, I think, most races one without a podium or between podiums. Yeah, probably not, between not most races one without a podium. Not one, one with run without a podium. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but between podiums, you know, not any of those that I would consider bad things. Yeah. But Lewis currently holds the record for every one of them except the number of world championships. He has the most. Does he have the most number of races won? Because I think that's Alonzo follow and, and Raikkonen's like eleven off of Alonzo's record. I think he's in terms of the number of race total races won or not won but run. Uh, total races run. He may not have the total number. Because we were of talking races. about that this weekend that Kimmy moved in a second behind Alonzo. Um, he may not have run the most races, but in terms of things that are winning based, mm-hmm. podium based. All of the he has yeah. every one of them except the number of world championships, which is only he's only second to Michael Schumacher. Yeah, um, but you, you've also got to keep in mind, and and this isn't to to really knock a whole lot of off of the shine of Lewis right here, but some of what has enabled Lewis to rack up the numbers that he has is the fact that the seasons have gotten so much longer. Oh, yeah. So with more races in a season, yes, he's got to be, he's, he has to continually perform, but, you know, it can take three years for him to do what it might have taken somebody in a 16-race season seven years to do. Correct. So in, in a way, I think that works better for him, though, because... While he's in his peak, he's running more races for right. more opportunities to rack up. And those. the more years that pass, the harder it is to stay at that peak. Right. So that that's that's where I think he's got a little bit of an advantage here. He does, and I think that you add to that advantage what we always talk about is the winning formula in Formula One is the right person in the right car at the right moment. Mm-hmm. He's got that trifecta. And has since 2014. So when the rule, when the engine changed and Mercedes exercised absolute dominance, and keep in mind, remember way back ye olde days, Mercedes was a 1-2 in every race. It is. And actually, that, that's a good time for me to point out this record right here. Okay. Because I think in terms of um, measurements, th- this is a really good one. So... Lewis is Mercedes' most successful driver of all time with 83 victories. Okay. The second highest uh, win count with Mercedes is Nico Rosberg. Lewis has 60 more victories. Six zero <laughs> more victories than Nico. <laughs> <laughs> But there was that one year, that one year. That Nico quit. <laughs> <laughs> like Nico is always going to have an asterisk on that year. I'm sorry. So for all of the success 
that Mercedes has had for the last three years. And, and um, as many of you know, um, Toto Wolff, for the first time since I think it was 2013, Toto Wolff was not trackside. He missed a race with Mercedes. Maybe that explains a lot of what happened in that race. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Toto didn't go. And one of the comments that was made as to why Toto was heading off is he specifically said that he was going to be having meetings and discussions regarding Mercedes' future in Formula One past 2021. Okay. Um, so this is Toto Wolf, who outright said that the team remaining in Formula One as of right now is not a given. Not a rumor. This is straight from Toto's mouth. Okay. So then on top of it, now we start getting some rumors are starting to fly that possibly the Mercedes Formula One team is up for sale. Interesting. Because of the um, Mercedes-Benz CEO, Ola Kalenius, uh, told analysts that the company needs to make cuts of $1.5 billion by the end of 2022. Billion with a B. Billion with a B. Mm. Now, he did say during that analyst call that the Formula One program is not likely to be affected. Okay. But the rumors have started to fly that the team may possibly be for sale, including a rumor that came out of all things. And this one, on one hand, it kind of sounded plausible. And in the other, it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe not. Is that maybe Robert uh, Roger Penske is interested in buying the team, which on one hand sounds like it could be interesting, but on the other, he just bought IndyCar in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Yeah, how much? He's is, not buying a Formula One team. How much is he going to be buying? Yeah. So there is a rumble that this is related to the Concord Agreement. And this is a negotiating piece. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, Auto Week in particular is saying that Ferrari's deal they're happy with. Whatever they have worked out for the new Concord Agreement that, that will get signed in 2021, Ferrari's happy with. However, Mercedes, Renault, and Red Bull all are trying to renegotiate their deals. So possibly these rumors are um, negotiating points around the Concord Agreement. Could be. So I don't know, but yeah, we'll see what happens. So Carlos Sainz. Yeah. Junior. Yeah. Carlos Sainz Jr., yes. He um had a really, really crappy qualifying last weekend. Yes. Um, it turns out that the problem happened, uh, or, or the problem that occurred was a wiring issue with the ignition system, which meant he lost power. Okay. which is why he could not complete a lap. Um, as a result of all of that, um, he got a new power unit. He was already running a high-mileage power unit. They decided, you know what, just replace the whole thing anyway. Put him at the back of the grid. Yes. And then we had one heck of a Brazilian Grand Prix. <laughs> that was that was a great start. It was. Really, I mean, probably one of the better start that we have had in quite a while for a race. I'll start right there. It was it was a really good start. Mm-hmm. Um, 
interesting strategies. Uh, some of them were not particularly bright. Um, okay. I have to tell you, as much as I have my own personal issues with Max, I loved the fact that for the first time in about five years, we had real unexpected results. Yes. Ma- yes. Okay. A top tier team won the Grand Prix. Great. But but it was it, it was a different team. I mean, again, let's go back to it. At the beginning of this year, we never would have predicted Honda would have won any races. And this is what, number three? Two or three, yeah. Um, okay. So there's that. But Toro Rosso was on the podium. For the third time in their history and the second time this year. Yeah. Now, all of that, though, before you even jump into that. We have to put out this disclaimer for the podium. Mm-hmm. What you saw on the podium was not what really happened. No. It was a figment of your imagination. <laughs> but the sad story about the podium, I think it's sad. The, my heart breaks because Carlos Sainz Jr. Earned, from last place. From last place earned the third spot which should have put him on the podium for the celebration but because the stewards took forever to make the call to give lewis the five second grid the five second penalty he wasn't up there so mclaren's on the podium for the first time since 2013 and i believe that was kevin magnuson who ended up on the podium the same way yeah or actually it may have been both button and magnuson but one of them ended up on the podium the same way. It was a disqualification because it was Daniel Ricardo in Australia who got disqualified for a fuel flow violation yeah. that put McLaren on the podium. But McLaren on the podium, big, big deal. Mm-hmm. Carlos Sainz Jr. on the podium, big deal. Mm-hmm. And the poor kid doesn't get to celebrate. Like I kind of, I kind of just so, want to walk up to him with this like little bitty bottle of champagne and just pour it over his head well, so he feels so, like so, it. So, so that okay. So he did get a podium celebration. So what the team did, the team when it got announced, yes, what the team did when it got announced that McLaren got it is the entire team went up to the podium, including Lando Norris, to have the team picture and a celebration up on the podium now admittedly it was two hours after the podium ceremony because that's when it was finally announced but he did get a podium ceremony because half of it was packed the, up the team made sure it happened well and that's important remember what what race was it that button and was it button and alonzo oh, that- it was in brazil it was, it was the same year that Alonzo blew up the engine and went to go work the camera and sit in a deck chair that I now use that picture as my avatar at work. You're kidding me. <laughs> no, I don't. People think that's probably you. I know, and that's why I do it. <laughs> uh, um, no. You know, they snuck up on the podium. It's like, this is the closest we're going to get to the podium. And they did it during qualifying. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad to hear that they they gave Carlos his podium semi celebration. You, you know the the other thing I have to say about the whole post race activities that occurred. 
Now, I want to temper this with, I am not a Pierre Gasly fan. Okay. I, I think that um, he is not nearly as good a driver as he thinks he is, which is why he's back down at Red Bull. Because he Toro Rosso. Or, or, that's right. Yeah. That's why he got fired by Red Bull, because he went to Red Bull and he was acting like he was the second coming of Max Verstappen. Um, <laughs> and he very much is not. Um, but this was a very big moment for him. And for Rubens Barrichello in the interviews post-race to grab Pierre and then go, oh, wait, Lewis is right here. Let me grab Lewis, who came in third, and go talk to Lewis and ignore you, even though you pulled over. I, you know, I pulled you over and you came in second and I should talk to you first. That was wrong. Yeah. And Rubens really ignoring Pierre was so wrong. It was. And uncomfortable. And then on top of that, to get to the podium ceremony itself, and the guy who gives out the trophy for first place to Max then goes and walks over to Lewis and shakes his hand and has a whole conversation. Wrong. <laughs> All of that was really, really rude. And uh, yeah, I, w- I was not particularly impressed by that. Well, I mean, we are very fortunate because we've had Lewis in the studio. Some of the celebrity has worn off and we can call him a friend. So we don't need to, you know, blow off the other drivers in order to go have our two seconds with Lewis. Now, the other thing that I should point out was that um, Science's podium was initially in jeopardy. Right. So Sainz was one of several drivers. He was not the only one. And you may have heard this towards the end of the race, that several drivers were under investigation for DRS usage under the double yellow flags. Correct. Um, What uh, Michael Massey said was that, yes, they did go and take a look at the, the DRS and that all of these drivers appeared to have used briefly the DRS and and the way he put it, which I thought was kind of stupid, but the way he put it was that, um, it was habit, Mm. but, um, there's two DRS zones, uh, at Interlagos. They can't turn off the way the system works. You can't turn off the the DRS for one and not the other. Ah, It's either turn everything off. Now, why they didn't turn everything off, I don't know, because DRS shouldn't be available, but they didn't. Um, But the reason why nobody got a penalty, even though they saw the DRS activated, was because it was in the second DRS zone, which was not over by the yellow flag area. And they could see very obviously on the telemetry from all of the cars who were called into question that they slowed down significantly in the double yellow section. And that's truly what they needed was in the double yellow section. They had to slow down. Got it. So the other area of question, and, and that was all around uh, when Valtteri blew up his engine. Mm-hmm. He blew up his engine. Um, it went kaboom. Yeah, overloaded. And they said excess oil consumption, but he overheated it. We know that. Um, was that what happened when Mercedes tried to burn oil as fuel? Yeah. So the reason why the safety car came out and came out for six laps mm-hmm. was, so initially they brought out the virtual safety car. 
Valter there was a problem with getting the steering wheel reconnected to the car. It didn't pop in properly. So that slowed down the recovery a little bit. Once they got it in, the marshal started pushing the car back and there was a bump behind it because the car was, there was discussion between Valtteri and his race engineers to where to pull off. And they very deliberately pulled off in that area that as they commented on, on the, the sky coverage, it was out of the firing line. You could not hit that car. Mm-hmm. The problem was when the marshals pushed it back, there was a bump behind it that no, that it got hung up on and they couldn't push it over the bump. So as a result, and you saw it, they had to bring the crane in. So Michael Massey's position, especially since uh, the incident in Japan years ago, um, is that the instant a recovery vehicle has to come anywhere outside of the fences, that's instant safety car. Okay. And once you bring the safety car out, you got to let everybody unlap per mm. the rules. So that's why it was six laps. Okay. So that's what happened there. Um, so then we get Lewis and his penalty. We know about that. Seven seconds. And honestly, I think... I thought the, it was five seconds, but... Or five seconds demoted to seventh seven. is what it was. Five seconds demoted to seventh. Honestly, the minute Lewis turned around and said at the post-race interviews... It was my, my fault. fault. The decision should have been made and Carlos should have been routed up to the, to the green room. Mm-hmm right there it shouldn't have been two hours later so okay but one of the the odd things there and i was staggered when they did it was when the safety car came out the second safety car came out and and i looked at you and i said we're going to end this race under safety car it took them forever to turn around and get that and, and they didn't do well Lewis dived into the pits and got new tires. Correct. And we looked at each other and were like, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. All the commentators said, that's stupid. Well, now James Allison, who was running the team in, in Toto Wolf's absence, has said, that was stupid. Um, he admitted that there was a lot of problems with how this worked, not the least of which is, one, Lewis was given incorrect information about the number of positions he was going to lose. Lewis was told on the radio that he was going to lose one position, not two, Mm. which is what he lost. But also, um, they left it to Lewis to make the call. Oh. Not a good plan. Yeah, it, it, it should never have been Lewis's decision to make that call, especially when you're looking at four laps left in a race under a safety car and they were slow to bring the safety car in last time why would you put yourself at that risk exactly but lewis was told that he'd only lose one position which is why he made the call to come in mm-hmm. and they swapped it out but yeah um james allison he, what he said well what was radioed to lewis and he was it was radioed to him twice from pete bonnington let us know if you want tires, you'll lose one place. And after a pause, Lewis initially said, you make the decision, followed by, I'll come in, I'll come in, just as he reached the pit entry. Mm. So they're ready for him. They brought him in. The reality was, like we mentioned, he lost two places. Had no problem passing Gasly. After the, see, there were the two things. It was after the damage that he had had um, bouncing off of Alvin. And a lack of DRS. And apparently, um, 
he didn't have any battery left either. He didn't have a right. chance to charge the battery. So he couldn't fight it even if he wanted to. Um, so what James Allison said was, having not had the shiniest of races to that point, we then just did something plain dumb, which was we thought we were exchanging a place for fresh rubber with enough laps left to get that place back properly and then have a go for the lead. That was just factually incorrect because we were exchanging two places. We hadn't factored Gasly, and secondly, with the amount of debris on the track, there was just a lot more laps taken up by the safety car than we anticipated. And that was just your rookie error of not quite quick enough car on day and trying to stretch too far for the victory. It wasn't on. We just made a mistake. He said, this was entirely our fault because we saw what we thought was a fleeting opportunity. It was not all clear to us that it was the right thing to do, but there was a possibility. We thought, well, let's give Lewis a chance to give his view, which we shouldn't have done because we didn't give him the right information. We said one place and it was two. And secondly, we should have made the call ourselves. So he ummed and odd for a second or two before diving into pits because he likes racing. But that was our mistake. From the moment that we made the call, it was like a heart sink moment after he emerged from the box behind Gasly. And then we were thinking, why did we do that? <laughs> Everybody was thinking, why did you do that? But yeah. But had it come together, it would have been brilliant. It would have, but, but I it don't just think ins- it was realistic. I mean, even if it was only one place, I don't think it was realistic that late in the race to think that there was... An, I mean, we hadn't seen evidence that there was enough pace in that car for him to be able to pass both Albin and Verstappen. Yeah. I, I, I just... We didn't see the pace all race... So why they would have thought, even even if there were 10 more laps left, why they would have thought it was a possibility, I don't know. Hmm. Not a shining moment for Mercedes. Like, when they screw up, they like to screw up big. Also not a shining moment, Ferrari, again. Oh, my word. So, I in everything I have seen, this really looks like this was Seb's fault. Yeah. Really looks like Seb's fault. So the the stewards have decided not to take any action. They're going to let Ferrari deal with it. It's an internal problem. It, well, I, I think what the stewards decided, since this only affected Ferrari and took both drivers out of the race. They suffered enough. Yeah, th- that's it. That's enough penalty. because And if, if they'd either involved another team or one of those drivers had survived that crash to continue racing probably there would have been penalties and points. Mm-hmm. Points on the license, I should say. Um, but they are going to the naughty step. Ferrari has built a naughty step. It used to be Mercedes' naughty step, but now yes. it's Ferrari's naughty step. So both drivers, so we're recording this on Monday, and it is likely that today both drivers are at the factory in Maranello in conference rooms explaining their actions with long discussions. And probably some being told that they need to think about what they've done. Mm. Uh, Mattia Bonotto says, it's not a matter of finding them or who we blame. I think that today they were free to fight. They knew that. The reason for that is we secured second place in the Constructors' Championship, and they were battling for their own position in the Drivers' Championship. But free to fight doesn't mean do silly actions, especially between two teammates, between the two Ferraris. For me, today was simply a silly action. What I really want to know, truly, is 
from everything that we saw that looked like a very slight touch mm-hmm. and it looked like in a lot of ways it looked like a really slight touch that was tire to tire i didn't see any kind of evidence that looked like there was bodywork contact and yet we had a suspension brake on leclerc's car and a blowout on seb's car that was the other way around but still that it was no, Seb's. it was it was Leclerc that had the suspension um, oh. that he ended. Seb had the suspension failure in Austin. That's what you think. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I agree with you. I was a little weirded out by the fact that it looked so. I mean, it was so in every replay. It looked so minor. It mm-hmm. looked like that should have been totally handleable. But then my question becomes because you know Ferrari plays fast and loose with you know stuff. How? delicate did they you know how did they set up the car in such a way that something was that delicate or was it just one of those like every so often you can hit something just right and it's highly unlikely but Seb hit the Clark in just the right spot at the right tie on in the tire at the right spot to damage everything I mean that was that it was wild but yes they took each other out oh so as it stands today there is only one year left in the contract for the brazilian grand prix to be held in sao paulo okay at interlagos at burmese track because mm-hmm. he owns it um the promoter for the race is not bernie it is thomas rogue rahoney Okay. I don't know, I'm guessing, kind of close. Um, and he is currently working on not just renewing the contract, but as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, President Bolsonaro declared that they were going to move the race to, um, Rio. to Rio to attract it. By the way, it hasn't been built yet. Oh, excellent. And that's actually the big push that uh, Tomas has, that he has 99% confidence that Formula One will be staying in Sao Paulo <laughs> is because, um, as he puts it, the land where the track is supposed to be as of today is still just trees and animals, his words. <laughs> um, as he points it out is, you know, in order for them to be ready in 2021, everything pretty much has to be built out by the spring of 2021 mm-hmm. in order for them to host in the fall. There's been no construction. They're not building a racetrack in a year. Yeah. Or if they are, it's going to really, really, really suck. Well, if you're going to talk about racetracks that suck. No, we're not going to do that. Um, He thinks that. Oh, I thought we could. No, we're not going to talk about France right now. I thought we were going to talk about Miami. We weren't getting there just yet. Um, He says that um, Bolsonaro has been given poor information as to the possibility of a track being built in in Rio. And actually, to some extent, he blames Chase Carey for it. Mm. He says that Chase Carey is part of the push for this. Interesting. Which, if that's true, I think that means this is part of the effort to de-burn EF1. Oh. Yeah. But still, you can't build a track in a year. Yeah. Um, Speaking of other track news, so lots of complaints about Circuit of the Americas and the bumps. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it is going to be closing over the winter to, to address that. Resurfaced? Mm-hmm. So the, the, one of the questions I have, because we haven't heard about the track being particularly bumpy in the past, mm-hmm. but this year was the first year that IndyCar ran there. Interesting. You think they pulled it up? Uh, well, I'm just wondering if the combination of the IndyCar and Formula One sped up some kind of degradation. I don't know. Because I, I don't remember hearing complaints from IndyCar about it being particularly bumpy. I, I honestly, I don't, I don't know what tears up asphalt for Formula One. Well, that that's one of the, the, the accusations against Formula One and why the MotoGP racers hate racing at tracks where Formula One races at. Because... They do def- the Formula One cars. The downforce does deform the surface of the track. I could understand. It makes it hard for a motorcycle to go. Yeah, they do like smooth, flat surfaces. Yeah. So our last track story, actually our last story. So the Miami Dade County Council thought they were going to put a nail in the coffin of the Miami Grand Prix at Pro Robbie Stadium. Okay. So they passed a law in order to try and stop the race that prohibited the event from using any public roads whatsoever because part of the the track was supposed to run on Northwest 199th Street in front of the stadium. Right. The mayor of Miami vetoed it. Okay. I, I, I think the plan is officially on life support, but it ain't dead yet. It's dying. Now, I should mention that the county council for Miami-Dade County, they're not exactly always operating in the best interest of the population. Well, Chase Carey, if Chase Carey really wanted to make this happen, Mm -hmm. the Miami-Dade County Council is receptive. Yes. They, They have, as... Probably most government officials in Miami, unmarked drop boxes where non-sequential numbers uh, or bundles of cash with non-sequential numbers can be placed that are not under surveillance and limited traceability, but they will get to the council member of your choice. Yes. I'm not saying that politics in Miami is dirty, but politics in Miami is dirty. I would just suggest that nobody gets elected to the county council unless they have actually been indicted first. Well, that that's any county job in Miami-Dade. All of them? Well, I thought probably t- with the exception of the police department. I No, I'm not entirely sure about that and either. And the garbage men. I was going to say, I think the trash collector has yeah. not been indicted. Yeah, let, let, let's recall there was a string of administrators for the Port of Miami for like three or four years that kept getting arrested because they were being paid to do a job but not actually show up for anything. And didn't. I'm still working on that job. Yeah. Anyway. On that bombshell. We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. 
Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.